welcome to a new episode of Never Seen, the podcast where we watch the films missing from our filmographies. There's glaring gaps in our film education, the classic or immortal movies people are shocked you've never seen. My name is Jenny, I'm your host, and joining me are my delightful and lovely friends and co-hosts, the gorgeous Stacey. Oh, thank you. Hello, everyone. Oh, and the ever handsome and delightful Lee. Hello. I nearly looked behind me to see if there was another Lee you were talking about. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> it's always you. It's always you. Delightful. Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, no. it's not... It's not Some like he wouldn't, you know, he'd probably flounce off if we're not careful. <laughs> it's all right, he's laughing, it's fine. Yeah, it's not, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> anyway, the movie we watched this month, friends, was the 1962 black and white psychological thriller classic, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I love this film. I'm glad that neither of you had seen the film. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to see how you felt about it and the entire unpacking of this film. But I suppose before we get into that, I better do a little bit of who's in it and a little bit of a synopsis. 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 That's the word. No, it is actually synopsis, just synopsis. in case synopsis. anybody thinks yeah. we're all insane. <laughs> we're a little bit bonkers, maybe. Mm. <laughs> Okay, so Whatever Happened to Baby Jane in 1962 was directed and produced by Robert Aldrich. Screenplay by Lucas Heller, based on the 1960 novel by Henry Farrell. Cinematographer was Ernest Haller. Music by Fran de Vol. Produced, oh sorry, production company was Seven Arts Productions, distributed by Warner Brothers. But it's the starring that's really quite special. Because it starred Betty Davis as Jane Hudson, Joan Crawford as Blanche Hudson, Victor Bruno as Edwin Flagg, Wesley Addy as Marty McDonald. Wow, I nearly said McDowell. It's not that. (laughs) Anne Barton as Cora Hudson, Marjorie Bennett as Delia Flagg, Bert Freed as Ben Golden, Anna Lee as Mrs. Bates and B.D. Merrill as Liza Bates. Fun fact, B.D. Merrill was Betty Davis's daughter. Mm. Yeah. I think it was either an early role or possibly even a first film role for B.D., but I'm not 100% sure. I, th- I think she'd done a few little cameos and stuff. I think this might have been because she was 16. Yeah. Um, although she looked like a, she was a bit 23. She, um, yeah, she's not good. But that's, but that's, <laughs> that's the time. Everybody looks older than they are, but we'll get to that. We'll get to, to that. That's a theme. But yeah, I think she, this was her first like um, role. Role. Mm. So, what is the film about? I hear people saying. Well, I would read you the synopsis from the back of the Blu-ray that I just banged onto my mic. <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, Blu-ray doesn't tell us a huge amount, but it tells us a little bit because it feeds into some background history of this film. It says two icons from the golden age of Hollywood, Oscar winners Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, take their famous feud on screen in Robert Aldrich's newly restored thriller. Well, it was newly restored for this Blu-ray anyway. In fierce, no-holds-barred performances, Betty Davis portrays ageing ex-child star Baby Jane Hudson, while Joan Crawford plays Blanche, the crippled sister Jane torments psychologically. As the sisters descend into madness, 
the tension builds to a shocking ending in this unforgettable Academy Award winning classic. I think they're pushing the Academy Award winning bit there, to be honest. It only won one it Academy won for, Award. It won for costume. For Best and, costume for black costume. and white films. Yeah. I, think so. I mean, spoilers, I think it's a great film, but that's really that's pushing cheating. It. To yeah. me. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I mean, Betty da- we'll come to it like Betty Davis was nominated for Best Actress. Joan was not. That's a thing we'll come to later. I mean, that's a whole story in itself. That's a big story in itself. Um, but I guess we'll start as we always do, which is, you know, when we we first saw it or when we did yeah. or didn't and all that. So for me, um, I think I must have watched this shortly after having discovered Betty Davis, which would have been when I was doing my uh, BA course, my first degree course. And I had to study classic films and I watched Now Voyager. And then that led me down a rabbit hole of black and white classic Hollywood and stars like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. But I think in the background, you always had that kind of pop culture knowledge of whatever happened to Baby Jane, but had just never yeah. seen it um, because the likes of French and Saunders had spoofed it on yeah. their show and others had spoofed it. But I, I don't think I'd seen it until probably around about the time I did my degree course. I was probably in my late teens, early 20s when I first watched this. And it became a firm and fast favourite. But also because of the background noise that surrounds this film as well. Mm. Um, It's history and it's rumours more than anything. I mean, they're fantastic Hollywood rumours, but most of them are rumours. But yeah, I think I just fell in love with it straight away. Two great actresses, great performances. It's utterly bonkers in places. Uh, And that's, to be fair, I think that's really my history. But am I right in thinking that neither of you had seen it? Is that correct? Yeah, I wasn't sure. I'd got some vague memories (laughs) of stumbling across it on TV at some point. Uh, but I couldn't remember if I'd actually seen it or not. I might have watched a chunk. I'd had a memory of the uh, the bit with the rat where she serves up the, the mm-hmm. rat. Um, but having watched it, no, I've not seen it before. Wow. There was n- there were no bells going off no. at all. So either I'd just seen that clip or I'd just seen that bit on the telly or I just knew about it via osmosis, you know, via the, the French and Saunders yeah. skit and all various bits and pieces. But no, it turns out I definitely hadn't seen it um, at all. But I'd been very aware of it mm. for a good long while. The, the, I'll tell you what it was. Back in the 80s, early 80s, you could buy, before VHS, you could buy... Um, was it was it um cine film you know for the home mm-hmm. projectors and stuff like yeah. that yeah. Uh, what was it eight millimeter or something like that i can't remember what it was um so. but you you could buy these things i remember seeing adverts in the newspaper for all the all the movies you could get you could buy mm. and just thinking wow imagine having films you could watch at home whenever you wanted mm. um and i just i just remember seeing that was what you know whatever happened to baby jane was one of those ones and it kind of blended together with a bunch of us, like the Rosemary's Baby was another one. And for some reason in my head, those two films have kind of blurred together just because of they were always together in those ads. 
um and there was there was always weird stuff you know just all sorts of stuff you know you was, i was as a kid i was always looking for see if you could get star wars or yeah the empire yeah. strikes back or something like that but um but no i hadn't seen it i was just vaguely aware of it i didn't know what it was about mm-hmm. until i guess at some point you just pick up a little bit of what it's a the general gist of it but i didn't know what the actual plot was at all i just you know you just pick up bits and pieces from mm. from various bits of pop culture for example there was there was a batman animated series episode with a with a, a villain called um baby doll that yeah. was clearly inspired by this baby jane yeah about a, about a child um actress who doesn't grow up Mm. due to some condition and becomes twisted and evil and you know a villain so and she's also you know still a little girl into her adulthood and all that kind of stuff and that's clearly inspired by this so I was aware of that so and I knew bits and pieces but I I didn't actually know what the what the actual story was or or anything like that yeah and what about you Stace (laughs) this is going to be a really quick section for me um (laughs) I did not, I've never heard of this movie until it made its way onto this list for the recordings for this wow. podcast. Wow, okay, okay, yeah. Never heard of it, never seen anything of it. If I've seen any spoofs of it, I've not been aware enough to put that together. Um, literally, as we sat down to watch it, because Rich wanted to watch it with me. So we sat down to watch it on Sunday and he said, uh, he said, oh, are you looking forward to this one? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, I said what, do you, what do you mean you don't know? And I was like, well, I don't know what it is. So I don't know if I'm excited or not, because I don't I don't know what it is. And he was like, Stacey, are you telling me that you aren't even vaguely aware of what whatever happened to baby Jane is about who's in it, what's <laughs> happening? And I said, yeah. And he went, what kind of movie do you think it is? And I just shrugged and he went, oh, my God. <laughs> a musical? <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I didn't think it was a musical because That's I would good. have set myself up for a massive disappointment there. <laughs> yeah. Although there is, I suppose there are a couple of musical performances in it of the world's creepiest fucking song. But there's we'll a, yeah, it. there's a couple yeah. of yeah. songs. That's Jeez about Louise. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I have absolutely nothing, no preconceptions, no idea. I didn't, didn't even know it was a psychological thriller. Not, not a clue what to expect, even a teeny bit. <laughs> so I popped it on and then I panicked a bit after the first sort of... Um, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or so, when I thought, well, I thought to myself, I thought, is this another movie that Jenny's picked that's about the, the, you know, the dark sides of Hollywood and fame (laughs) that I'm not going to like very much? (laughs) Well. (laughs) Because I was like, is this going to be another All About Eve when I'm going to go, well? So That's I had a Because I, I thought actually this this does seem to relate to All About Eve and Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, a little bit. It, it seems a part of that kind of, there's a, you can see a through line. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and it's like 12 years after. It's, it's yeah. May 12 years. I mean. But you can see it just, it just you it's, can see, it's almost the same. This, the, it, you know, it's clearly yeah, in the same yeah. world. But yeah. It just gets more and more twisted as it goes along. Yeah. All about Eve is just, you know, quite realistic and a bit, you know, it's a drama. Then you've got yeah. Sunset Boulevard, which ends in murder. And then yeah. you've got this, which is completely just <laughs> mental. You know? I have to That's say, it, it must have been quite nice going into it, knowing absolutely nothing. To have no preconceived 
you know ideas or or anything to be fair I think that's quite a common experience for Stacey <laughs> that happens a lot it's, just it's, on the evidence of this podcast it's difficult it's difficult to judge to be honest because I think on the one hand it is good because I think if somebody had said to me beforehand this is a psychological thriller I'd have been you know keeping an eye out for certain things mm -hmm. but then I also think that when you when you literally don't know what to expect it can sort of ruin your enjoyment because you're sitting there trying to decide like what's this gonna be yeah, yeah. And, and sort of picking it apart a bit unnecessarily like what what is this yeah. um but yeah so you'll be you'll be glad to know that um that I actually really like this and I gave it four stars out of five hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm so, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently completely fucking batshit is what I need in my <laughs> old movies about Hollywood and actresses uh going a bit do lally or I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah or maybe it's just because it's Betty Davis and Joan Crawford who knows <laughs> mm. I mean it, it, you know it could be the thing is like the blu-ray description tells you not a huge amount about this because it leans too much into the rumored feud and gossip of what was happening on set yeah. which um to dive into that a little bit that from what i've read and seen and heard in different places the two of them were not friends they didn't necessarily like each other especially petty davis but from what i've learned they got on uh, on set. They behaved extremely well for the most part. Um, yeah. They were very professional. They just got the job done. But the press. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. And the studios. Just, yeah, just the bits of because you can't not watch the behind the scenes stuff or read up about it. No. And no. you just get bombarded with all this stuff. So I'm quite pleased that we're getting it out the way quite early. <laughs> it's the same, but because the, the interesting thing with with. Joan Crawford and Betty Davis is that they have quite paralleled lives in a yeah. sense. Um, now, Joan Crawford came to Hollywood a little earlier than Betty Davis. She was already technically a star, so to mm. speak, before Betty Davis was because Joan Crawford was doing silent movies. She was a flapper dancer. Um, and then but she managed to move into sound, whereas other actresses mm. did not. Um but she was also very savvy and she was really clever. Um, and I think she was really underrated for many years as an actress because she's actually really good. But she was very savvy about the parts that she went into and would take, even though a lot of the times she'd just be given the roles. But she did eventually start fighting for them. Well, that, see, that's the whole studio system that just boggles yeah. my mind. The more you look into it, yeah. it's like because you, you, that's not the system anymore. And it's no. not been the system for a long time. So to realise that you'd have a, a certain actor will be right with a certain studio and they'd basically just be just putting whatever the studio wanted, yeah. whatever they were making at the point, they go, oh, this will do for them. And boom, that's what they're doing. And they'd yeah. be churning through, you know, three or four movies a year. Yeah, just yeah. whatever was next, yeah. regardless of whether they wanted to do it, regardless of whatever the role was. Um you know, regardless it, of who was yeah, making it, it, what the budget was, it didn't only, matter. Yeah, yeah. Once you get to a certain, and and I've I've seen them into you saying there's a, there's a, actually that's quite um there's a good side to that. That's mm. not all. That's not all bad. It, it wasn't all awful, bad, but that's no. good because it keeps you in work. It kept you working. So it means you you're working full time. Yeah. You're not you're not you know auditioning and just waiting and then having to wait tables and do mm. all that kind of stuff. You you're working, so there's a lot of security in that. 
and it, it, it exactly yeah. and it seemed that Joan a lot of the time would just do the work mm. and then I think she possibly got to a point in her career where she started to fight back and say well I'll do this but I want to do this next um, because she was at MGM uh, for a few years and then she went to Warner Brothers and Betty Davis I think Betty started at Paramount and then mm. she went to Warner Brothers and she became she, she was, she, yeah she was she was doing well at Warner Brothers by the time Joan yeah transferred over I think I think Betty was doing well there she was a a star there she was a star then and whereas Joan Crawford was very Hollywood actress you know Hollywood style icon beauty Betty Davis wasn't she's the character actress she cares about the work the you know the hard graph of acting and the stage and all of those sorts of things and yeah that's right by the time Joan Crawford came to Warner's Betty was sort of the queen, really. I mean, mm. she was nicknamed the fourth Warner and mm. she she took Warner Brothers to court because she was getting dreadful roles and she wanted better roles. So she went to England, I think. She came here to England to do a role and then <laughs> Warner Brothers sued her and she had to go back. <laughs> mm. And it was a whole thing. Um, but they, they were quite paralleled in relationships and then you come to when Joan came to Warner Brothers, she knew that she wanted to work with Betty Davis. She she always respected Betty Davis's work and her as an actress. And it would seem if you listen to Betty Davis in later interviews that she did respect Joan for her work ethic and that she was always on time. She knew, her, you know, her lines, her marks, all those things. Um, but they just didn't just didn't get on now see this is this is what i couldn't figure out because you know doing doing my research and stuff you're, you're expecting to see a big triggering incident well about yeah. somebody nick somebody's boyfriend it's or that's well technically whatever. that's where it is you mm. have to dig back and you have to decide whether it's fact or rumor because there was uh, a man that joan crawford married uh, i think his name was antone or something and betty was also in love with him and the rumour is that Joan Crawford knew this, that Betty loved him and she basically wasn't going to let him have him. And she married him and they eventually would get divorced. Fine. Uh, yeah. I mean, I but think that, everybody Joan married got divorced oh, yeah, yeah. three or I mean, four years. She married um, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And mm. they were married for a few years. And then that's basically that was also Joan's golden ticket to be married to a fair uh, to Fairbanks Jr. Because his parents... Uh, were the king and queen of Hollywood, uh, Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks Senior. They, you know, they I think they created United Artists yeah. production company, but they were king and queen of Hollywood. So to be accepted more or less by them was uh, a big thing. But a- apparently, one of the triggers for Betty and Joan's apparent feud was Joan had married a man that Betty Davis had loved. Joan Crawford also had a fling with Clark Gable because they worked together a lot and got on very well. Apparently they'd had a fling and Betty Davis was je- jealous of that because she had a thing for Clark Gable. But it was Clark Gable. Most women did. Uh, yeah, I thought everybody would have had a fling. Yeah, everyone. This, so this is what amazes me about old Hollywood because you imagine it because the films were quite chaste. Yeah. You imagine the world being quite chased. Absolutely. And it's not. not. They were screwing <laughs> around. It was and a hot Pouring bed. it up and drugging yeah. it up and all and a, sorts. And apparently, if rumours were to be believed, Joan Crawford was quite the the, the free woman when it came mm. to 
relationships. Well, she and... she did a skin flick early yeah. on. Yeah. Because I re- I remember seeing like some Channel Four thing late night about you know shocking Hollywood, shocking this, that, and the other. Mm. And you had this story. Yeah, they showed the 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 footage of her her skin flick that she did. And I didn't know who she was, and she's completely unrecognisable because it's it's literally going back to silent era type stuff. It was when she did it, yeah. and she completely unrecognisable. And it meant nothing to me at all. But it, but you then you think, oh, oh yes, yeah, stag films were around then. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, you kind of forget that <laughs> pornography promotes technology. Whatever the new technology is, porn and erotica will come in and take control of it, and that's where stuff takes off generally. Mm. Mm. it's weird yeah yeah but it was uh like i say one part of the feud is apparently this marriage that joan crawford had Mm. another part is that um the divorce from fairbanks jr douglas fairbanks jr so betty davis was in a film uh called uh ex-lady yeah. And she was meant to be having a big publicity spread and everything in the New York Times. And it's going to be massive splash, you know, in a magazine. It's going to be great. It's going to be terrific. It was all happening. And it was going to make sure then that the film would be a success. Uh, however, they then announced, Joan Crawford and Douglas Fairbanks people, that the, they were going to get divorced. And so what would have been Betty Davis's big, you know, like double page splash or whatever of of the magazine mm. became a column and a little picture, little headshot picture of Betty Davis whilst the divorce of Crawford and Fairbanks Jr. took over completely. And apparently Betty Davis never forgave her for this. Mm. And because the, the film was also a flop. Uh, so apparently well, that, that film, <laughs> if I remember right, that film, this footage from that film in this, that's at it, the start yeah. where you see the, the in yeah. one of the two like prologues, you see a, a film director and, yeah. his assistant watching some film footage of um jane hudson yes um and they're going oh she's terrible oh she's awful and i'm yeah, and it's a weird clip to pick because she's really good in that. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, yeah. there's that you know you're not going to cringe at anything like, oh no that, that that's good that's, yeah that's, so it's, it's quite peculiar it's it's a weird little but i guess you can't find any shit footage of betty davis it's no, it'd be really hard. It doesn't exist. It I doesn't guess. exist, really. I mean, from human bondage is amazing. Um, I'm not into porn. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> that's not quite what the film's about. Um, <laughs> but it, it, their their apparent feud is quite twisted and weird, and I wonder how much is actually real and how much is studio. Yeah, my my vibe of it, just from the bits I was reading. Is that it's like eighty percent built up by the press. It's eighty yeah. percent media hype. Yeah. And I'm sure they didn't particularly like each other or get on no. with each other and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sh- I'm sure it was all tabloid hype and, and built up and probably fed into each. They'd be reading the papers. Oh, they. Yeah. And going, I can't believe she said that about me. I or, can't believe she yeah, did all that. All that kind of stuff. I. So I'm, I'm sure a lot, a lot of it was constructed. He said yes. from a completely non-expert point of view. I just, I just got that. That's just the vibe. That's the I feeling I've it. been getting. The more I've learned about it, the more I get that it was, it was built up because that's what would sell the film, and that's because how they sold. Be nothing the film. really there, like you say. Oh well, you know, she kind of fancied 
this guy and they got married well that happens you get that's over life that. in it you move on the, but one of the fine things i found interesting though was after the film was completed it went out it was a massive success and then the nominations for the oscars came out and mm. as we said earlier betty davis quite rightly was nominated for best actress for playing jane yeah they didn't nominate uh joan crawford now i can understand her being somewhat upset by that when her you know co-star was nominated mm. the part of the story that i deviously love is that joan crawford phoned round all of the actresses that were nominated that year for best actress mm. and was apparently campaigning according to betty davis campaigning that betty shouldn't win but she phoned all the actresses especially those that were in theater productions and couldn't make it to the oscars to collect their awards so she offered to collect the award for them <laughs> and Anne Bancroft said yes. Yeah, you can collect. Well, apparently, they, they all. She, she apparently, from what I heard, because uh, she, she basically was whoever won. Yeah. She if was going to. If they could, be if they, that she'd go because she was waiting in the wings. Already. She was waiting in the wings. Like Anne Bancroft said yes, and any others that were, you know, mm. were not able to. So, so that you know, it's so strange because uh, others say that she was waiting in the wings, and she was there, and then. Betty Davis say, oh, she went past me and, and said something snarky to her on the way past. And yeah, I'm not... like, I've got to go and pick up an Oscar or something. Yeah, I've got to go and but pick up an Oscar. that seems like a, a really weak thing to say. Yeah. When it's, it's not, not your, your Oscar. Oscar. <laughs> that, yeah. that seems so yeah. feeble. Yeah. I can't, if somebody did that to me, I just, I literally just shout out on the stage while they're on there, but it's not yours. Exactly. You're only warming it for somebody. Because the other, the other rumour is that then Joan held on to the award for a year. <laughs> she didn't according to other sources she didn't she handed it over to Anne Bancroft uh within a month or so but yeah. but apparently she'd held on for it for a year and took it all around the world with her <laughs> so, yeah that's that see, again a, this is what I say about it these all sound like juicy Hollywood stories this yeah. this all sounds like tab tabloid fodder to me the biggest um, and then uh, of course the biggest tabloid was that both women would have several marriages and divorces and mm. adopted children, uh, especially Joan. Um, and then their daughters, their eldest daughters, would each write a scathing tell-all book about their mothers. Yeah, yeah. So that was the other thing I was that because that's mostly what I know Joan so, Crawford for. So you know, you know, Mummy Dearest. Dearest. Yeah. Now I've not read the book or seen the movie adaptation of it, but right. I, I know the rumor of it. I uh, yeah I'm like I've got the book I've not read it yeah I've and I've, it's always been in my head which is why I, I've kind of avoided Joan Crawford because I, mm. I don't want to see movie it's very kind of me too-ish that my, I, I don't want to even watch anything that she's been in if this is true but then but what I didn't realize is the mommy dearest the the, the biography or the the memoir that her mm. daughter wrote yeah. has been widely um dismissed and disparaged by a lot yeah. of people who, who knew them i yeah. didn't know that yeah and 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 i i found out that they the the i can't remember her name who who wrote it the daughter christine crawford christine yeah she wants it to she's trying to get it turned into a musical yeah and she says oh it's and, nothing and that, like the film <laughs> and that and that swung it for me to yeah. bullshit because i thought if you're that traumatized you you're not going to want to turn it into a musical of mm. all things sure yeah. That doesn't seem like somebody who's scarred. 
No, and Joan Crawford had, had passed away by the time it had come out, and she had put in the she had changed her will before she died. She had four children, twin girls, and the two elder children, Christine and Christopher. And she had removed Christine and Christopher from her will with a line along the wording of uh, for reasons um, to which they know or something that mm. uh, no one knows what those reasons are. Whether her children knew what those reasons are, I don't know. But after that, apparently that's when Christine really went back to working on this memoir and getting it mm. published. So that's like this whole thing, you know, like before going on and after. Yeah this entire film but <laughs> it's one hell of a selling ploy for this film to say hey these two women who hate each other their careers are waning by this yeah, point yeah they were, they were kind of off. they're like they're, they're, betty, they're, they're, yeah they kind of yeah. disappeared and were gone betty was doing a supporting role on broadway on a stage show and joan was doing other things but joan apparently was the one that found the novel yeah and she's the one because she'd wanted to work with betty since they were at warner's together and she got the director. See, that, see, that doesn't that doesn't fit. Yeah. If all this other stuff is true about this great rivalry, it's weird, isn't it? And then and then she said, "What I want to work with that doesn't that doesn't something's not right there. Mm. Some, yeah. th- those two those two things don't jibe. They don't, they don't go together. I found one s- snippet of an interview that the pair of them did um, when they were just starting to make the film, and they were saying in this like, "Oh well, all the the people and papers are going to start saying that." we don't get on and it's all going to be terrible and da, 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 da. And, you know, they're trying to have taken the mickey out of it themselves a little bit. And so, well, of course, that's exactly what they're going to say, that we're two women. We don't get on. It's going to be horrible on set. But apparently it was pretty cordial on mm. set. It was it was fine. There's rumours about because Joan was on the board of directors for Pepsi Cola that Betty Davis brought on um like a vending machine for coca-cola <laughs> to spite her so joan brought in pepsi and things like that but there's See, no that, again, hard fact that, that's all juicy but it sounds like bullshit you know what i mean it, yeah, sa- it yeah, sounds yeah. like oh here's a juicy little tidbit before and, it, and there's yeah. no there doesn't appear to be any hard evidence of it no either not from but, you know i'll tell you i'm not an expert just from just from the the research and the reading i was doing it's, it seems to be just built on next to nothing, really. Yeah. Nothing beyond what, you know, a normal. It's a great you know, story. Norm- it's a fun, yeah. juicy story. I was going to yeah. say, that's that's sort of entertainment news for you, though, isn't it? That's, yeah. like, yeah. you know, that, that's tantamount to like clickbait nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Headline, these two people hate each other. And then yeah. you read the actual article and it was like she sniffed in her vicinity or yeah. something just so completely mm-hmm. pathetic and, and nothing that <laughs> you're just like mm, what, are you do- what are we doing <laughs> as yeah. a society yeah. like what are we doing there's there's two possible moments in the film where things may have come to a little bit of a head mm-hmm. because there's one moment i I've, I've watched the film several times and i can see possibly when it's happened and i don't know that it's not true so we have to go a little bit further into the film we're heading towards the third act when uh, um, Joan Crawford uh, Blanche has been on the phone downstairs and is trying to get the doctor to come out to help. And then it, it, it all comes up to Betty Davis kicking the shit out of her. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, a good moment. That's it's a, a great, a, that's great a hell of a moment. shocking moment because that's when it gets physical. I think for the first time it gets physical for the first time. Now, and you're not, you're not, you're not expecting it. You're not expecting it now. 
but behind the scenes apparently there was a body double for Joan for most of it but there was one close-up that she couldn't not be in which is when Betty Davis kicked her in the head now apparently Betty Davis really did kick her in the head To some would report that that Joan needed stitches. Now, if she needed stitches, that would have shut down production until she was camera ready again. Yeah. And then there's a moment when Betty Davis has to take Joan off of her bed. And I think that's the moment when she takes her downstairs in the third act to get her into the car, take her to the beach. Now, uh, Betty Davis had a very bad back. Joan knew this. And Betty Davis had apparently said to Joan, now you have to help me. Don't just be like a dead weight. And some would say that alarm bells went off with Joan, who was getting a bit annoyed with Betty. And so she made herself a dead weight. And there's a rumour that she also wore uh, like a weighted belt to make her heavier than she actually was. So that when she dragged Joan Crawford off of the bed uh, at one take, they fell over (laughs) Joan on top of Betty and just wrecked her back. Yeah, that again that kind of i can understand them her being awkward yeah putting the weighted belt on exactly that's the step like too far that's, there it? you go that's no, like, no 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 that that's smack making yourself invention. heavy and not helping in any way i get but yeah yeah well especially because like she seems like the kind of person who wants to deliver a good performance exactly. and in that sequence she's not eaten for days and has been strapped to a bed yeah. so the idea of her being in any way moving really is a little bit unbelievable yeah. so i can no, well, sort of see her thinking well actually the scene calls for me to be a dead weight a dead weight so i'm going to yeah. do that but yeah. um i mean i the thing is i don't know like because i've never been somebody who's been particularly interested in like ho- like hollywood entertainment gossip so i don't really read tabloids i don't really read like magazines and stuff i only pay attention to this a very small handful of celebs i care about and their social media so anything they put out I'll be like, right, this is a thing that's real. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like I won't I won't bother reading like, you know, yeah, like weird little stories and things about them. So yeah. I've got no absolutely zero concept of what people might and maybe, maybe she is that petty. <laughs> like mm. I don't know. I never met John Joan Crawford, but the idea in my mind of any adult human woman thinking, I'm just gonna make this woman's life hell for a laugh. It's well, so bamboozling to me. I mean, particularly, how would she get away? Specifically, the belt thing, for example. Yeah, yeah. She, it's how not like she, she dresses herself and walks on the stage and stuff like that. She'll yeah. be dressed by the costume person. And stuff. Yeah. There'll be dozens of people around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so somebody's not going to notice that she's wearing. It. I, I mean, she surely it would have been visible because she wasn't wearing show. like a flowy gown. It was quite. Yeah. A, no, it'd have to be something under that, like boiler suit type thing she was wearing. So yeah, so it's yeah again, you know, it's, it, it's it another just smacks of it just it smacks of juicy, it? juicy yeah. bullshit. Yeah, but if juicy we can... bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so let's let's step back to this film coming together. So we had Joan apparently finding the novel. Her and Robert Aldrich had already worked together on a film called Autumn Leaves, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So. They were going to work together again. Well, can we can we talk about Robert Aldrich? Yeah, I do because I don't know the, huge amounts about see, him. See, I was I'm a big fan of his already. Yeah. yeah. Because but he'd done a lot of westerns and war movies. Uh-huh. So I knew him from the, he did a film called Attack, which was a brilliant World War Two movie. He did Kiss Me Deadly, 
which mm. is uh, a very famous film noir, which is one I've never seen, and I'll be putting on this already. Um, he did a film called Flight of the Phoenix. He did The Dirty Dozen. He did a film called Too Like the Hero with Michael Caine. He did um, The Longest Yard. These are all very macho movies. So, and I'd never in my head put together that he'd done this, which is an extremely female-oriented movie. Um, and so it, 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 it doesn't, doesn't fit. It's very peculiar. So yeah. got, and also I realised he, his career goes back much further than I thought it did. Because I mm. see him as like a seventies kind of guy, um, but yeah, he he was he worked with Chaplin, I think, or something. He was like a, a, only as an assistant or something like that. But he was he was he worked with Chaplin like in the thirties. Yeah, I did glance like on his IMDb and it did go back to like the thirties and like you so, said, so, like he's doing like assist directing and or second unit, yeah, like second unit stuff and that. Yeah, yeah. and he did like I say he did. Um, like a film called The Choir Boys, which was like a like a, a black comedy about the police, about mm-hmm. you know how corrupt and burnt out the police were and stuff like that, which is quite a notorious movie. When I was at school, when 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 that was on the telly, everybody was like, "Oh, Choir Boys is on tonight. Mm-hmm. Watch that." I, I need to watch that again to see if it's as salacious as I remember it being. It's probably not. It's probably really really tame. And yeah. he did one of his last films was a film called The Frisco Kids which was a comedy western with Gene Wilder and Harrison Ford. But it, but he got this really interesting career. Look, so all these, like, say, Dirty Dozen is one of my favourite movies. Mm. Um, all these big, kind of tough um, movies, quite quite offbeat, quite cynical. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense that this fits with his, although it's, it's very female-oriented, it's still got that cynical, twisted... Mm-hmm angle to it and if he's going to do a, a female oriented movie this is exactly what you'd kind of expect yeah um so it's it's yeah so it was kind of like a surprise when when his name popped up on the on the on the credits yeah because I, I, I didn't i went into it knowing very as we established very little i didn't do any reading up i didn't even read the back of the dvd case mm-hmm. um because i just wanted to know as little as possible going into it so i didn't know uh, and I, I didn't even know Victor uh, Buono was in it. Yeah. Um, and he was fantastic. He was terrific. And he's only 24. I know it's this, crazy, isn't it? Which is which is <laughs> bizarre. Yeah. Because he was. I mean, he was he was well known for. Um, he was he was a, at the time. This was his first major. I was gonna say the credits had him introduced. Wasn't introducing. It? introducing. Yeah. In this film, yeah. So, so that was a nice surprise. I didn't realise first. I didn't realise he was in it, and then I didn't realise that it, it was his first big debut. I think he'd done some TV, mm. big arts and stuff like that. He was he was well known for doing theatre and as a Shakespearean actor. Yeah. But like, say he was only twenty four, and he he looks like he's in his forties. <laughs> Everyone looks older in like yeah, that's from the thirties to the fifties, sixties. They he, all look older. <laughs> Yeah, he died at forty-five or something God, like that. That's, so yeah. he, yeah, he, he, he. That's only twenty years later. But I, I know him best. I think most people know him best, or certainly people from my generation know him best from Batman. He was in the Adam West Batman series as King Tut. Oh uh, God, yes. So, um, ah. and he was, and he was, he was also the villain in a TV series, a short-lived TV series in the seventies called The Man from Atlantis, 
mm. which was Patrick Duffy playing a, a merman superhero <laughs> type. It was, it was basically <laughs> Aquaman the TV series, but without the, you know, without yeah. the rights. So, um, so I, he was a very, very familiar face to me yeah. uh, as a kid. He was he was all over the shop. He didn't do an awful lot of movies from what I could tell, but he did a lot of telly. Mm. Uh, and he was in he was in the, the 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 first Planet of the Apes sequel, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He played a mutant in that. But okay. he he was but yeah he was very familiar. And he and he's he's one of those character actors who you don't realise how good he is until mm-hmm. you watch him as an adult, and yeah. you go oh he's spot on. Like the the business he does in this yeah. is just ter- terrific. Just the little. Um, there's, there's bits where he keeps wiping his face. Mm-hmm. It's a tiny little thing, and it might just be him. That might ju- just be a habit that he does. But he keep he keeps wiping his face in like a nervous kind of insecure yeah. tick thing. I mean, I'd be nervous if I was in on set with Billy <laughs> Davis. I'd be nervous Crawford. if I was on set with that fucking doll. I'm oh, like, that doll! Oh, man. Yeah. I hate dolls like that as well. Me too. I'm not having. I'm absolutely not having that. When I first saw that, and I said, oh, I looked at Rich, and I said is this a horror movie about a doll? He went, no. I was like, thank fucking God, because I will, I I will disown Jenny as a friend. Yeah, I was surprised how little the doll was in it. Because, so am I. Yeah. Because obviously the doll's on the poster, on, on the, you yeah. know, which is on the front of the DVD, this, this smashed this up doll. opening credits as well. Yeah. yeah. So you think it's going to be a big thing, and it's kind of not. It's there as like a symbol. Mm-hmm. Through the it's, film. It, yeah, it's just like it's a it, right. It's a part of a symbol, part of her past, forgotten past. Mm. And do you know when I put it on? Because I watched it on last night, so I watched it on Monday night. And I've obviously I've seen it a lot of times before. But do you know I'd actually forgotten that first twenty minute section. Mm. You know when they go when you have that, it takes you back in time to when Jane uh, was the child vaudeville star. Charles you Star, know, yeah. Charles Star, Baby Jane. Can we, can we just say how good those little girls oh, are? Oh, those they're, girls they're only, are great. They're only for a couple of minutes, but they are spot on. So good. I so, mean, they, so, they so look good. the part and they, they really deliver. I don't think they particularly went on to do anything no. big as a, as a couple of actresses. I don't I don't think that the, the little girl who plays Betty Davis's character, I don't think she's even got like an IMDb. No. page or anything like that but um but they were terrific and i thought uh, you know for that little bit you go oh, okay i just i, I love that that little section and but the the adults in the crowds like oh well children like that you can't do anything but blame the parents and yeah, yeah all yeah. those sort of little murmurs and then the screening room section where they showed like we said earlier the little bits of joan and betty's old films yeah as well um and i'd, I'd forgotten that and then you have the car crash where now, the, and that's the, really the setup. You have obviously that the first 20 minutes is the setup for the entire film, what you think has happened. Can I just talk about the car crash? Yeah, the one, that's where I was heading. Yeah, I want to do. Yeah, there's, 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 there's the one bit that I just, well, I thought was really clever. There's, it's very clever, but there's the one bit I just want to point at it and go, ugh, with the bit where they show you the crash and they just kind of wobble the frame of the picture. You know, the, 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 it's mm. a freeze frame of the front of the car. Yeah. And to show that it, hit something they just kind of wobble the picture like a yeah. cartoon yeah and i just thought yeah that's that's the one thing that dates <laughs> dates <this. laughs> yeah. more than the black yeah. and white more than anything else that shot where they they, they couldn't even do a, a proper crash yeah uh, that that was the the only that's literally i think the only nit i can pick out of this whole film was that <laughs> dumbass little 
camera wobble. Shut. <laughs> the supposed crash, but it's but it's it's very interesting how they shot that because that immediately mm. set up flags for me. Well, see, this shot. is why I, this is how I, this is why I wanted to talk about it because this film, this section of this film, made a re fucking chomp out of me because. Obviously, they're very careful about not showing you who is driving the car, mm-hmm. who whom is being hit by the car. There's just, you know, a, a vague sense of legs <laughs> yeah. <laughs> happening in the vicinity of the of the gate and the car. Um, and and obviously, there's very dramatic music playing. So by that point, I was like, right, I think I know, I think I know what this film's going to be now. And then, of course, obviously, we have that little section I think first where you see the neighbours talking about. That's right. Um, uh, you know, Joan and Betty Joan, and yeah. uh, everything that's been going on with the with them and speculating about you know the sister having run over the other sister and blah blah blah. Yeah. yeah. And then it, and then when you finally see them in their house and you see Joan in the wheelchair, like my brain immediately was like, I don't know why they bothered trying to be secret secretive about who hit whom, because you <laughs> couldn't possibly run over yourself. That's really fucking stupid. So I, immediately I was like, this film's dumb. Why is this mm. film so dumb? Because I just, I just, I mean, Brian Harvey would probably be one to argue with me because he's a man <laughs> who ate too many baked potatoes and ran over himself. But um, it, <laughs> it genuinely, yeah. But like the whole thing, I was just like, there's no way with the way they've set it up. There's no way she like, because my thinking was, are they going to try and make it out like, oh, it was, uh, it was Joan driving. Yeah. Uh, the car she, and she was aiming to hit what's the face um, aiming to hit Jane, Betty but she fell out and went under the wheel herself <laughs> yeah, yeah. or like but, it, but, but the way they set up like the images like with yeah. where the legs are and everything that's impossible for that to happen so my brain was just like well then obviously but obviously Jane drove into Blanche like that's what happened yeah. so the whole film I was like where's the suspense where's the suspense so it's interesting to me, actually, that I gave this four stars in the end, but I think it was because that twist at the end completely blindsided me because yeah. <laughs> I'd become so convinced in my own head that there was categorically no way that... that, well, that well, that's it. That's, that's, I was the same when I first watched it. It's like, no, no, there's, no, no, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah, no, the thing is, and I'm I'm, I'm not lying, I promise you, I, I guessed the twist. I guess that's where it was going. Mm-hmm. Just because of how it was shot, because he was so... I was like, well, why are they keeping this secret if it's obvious yeah. what happened? So there's got to be a reason it was shot that way. And yeah. the only reason they'd, they'd shoot it that way is if it's not what you think it is, if, if it's not the way that they keep telling you. So I was trying to figure out all the way through, almost immediately I was going, well, clearly it must have been the opposite way around. Mm. Some, something's not right there. But how come... Um, Jane accepts what the situation is. She's clearly got guilt, and you know, and there's bits of lines of dialogue about stuff about you know, you well, know, yeah, because you're in the wheelchair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and the, 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 so she thinks she did it. Yeah, that that's what kind of kept me guessing because I'm thinking there's got to be a reason that was there's, there's got to be the, the twist <laughs> yeah. it's got to yeah. be a twist I but, thought it was just bad writing I thought I know I'm just trying to figure how I, it happens I was thinking see <coughs> I just I just convinced myself it was bad writing that like they were trying to set up a mystery but there wasn't one there because it's really fucking obvious because you can't run over yourself and that's all I kept thinking like I was like that how could this possibly and because they do such a good job of making Blanche seem like 
a fairly rational human being yeah. <laughs> compared yeah. to um you Her know baby Jane who sister, is yeah. you know clearly wanting to go back to the past she wants she wants her dead dad back. She yeah. wants her fame back. She wants to be, she's, you know, ba- the baby Jane Hudson that she was when she was, yeah. you know, 10 or whatever age she was supposed to be at the start of the movie. Yeah. Um, so they do such a good job of making her seem, you know, completely unhinged, um, just li- just stuck in the living in the past. So when you find out at the end, and this is a whacking great spoiler, but, um, you know, you shouldn't really be listening to a podcast that's solely about one film if you don't expect us to talk <laughs> about the it ending. um but that, that when it turns out that actually she's sort of gone a bit crazy from guilt of something she never even did yeah. like that t- oh my god it blew my tiny mind i was like oh four stars amazing what yeah. <laughs> i just i mean there, there are i thought there were a few little clues mm. like for and it's it might just be me seeing stuff that's not really there but one of the things that really bugged me and said something's up here was the way um, Blanche presses the buzzer to summon Jane all the time. Oh, it's religious and me. That she, yeah, that she didn't yeah. just press the buzzer. She, like, leans on the fucking thing and she's like... Eh, eh, eh. I thought, no wonder that would drive you up the wall because that would drive anybody up the wall. And then, because when she'll turn up and she's all like, oh, well, you know. So that was... that was that, I felt like that was a flag. I'm thinking something's not right there. Her being... The innocent victim and who you're clearly supposed to sympathize with her predicament and yet that constant obviously clear, almost aggressive buzzering mm. <laughs> that's that, that's got to be a clue that's which you can see you can see it stem back to when they were kids yeah. and uh you know when when the young blanche was like i'll never you know yeah well here, here's a question sort of for you right here's yeah. a question for you who's the villain of the movie blanche she's no. you know to me dad. she's it's the dad well, it is the dad but out of the it's, out it's of the, no, no I, I the, and it's him it all stems from him yeah uh and i wonder no i've never never read the book so and i but i know the book goes into more you know the way the film leaps ahead in time um from from when they're kids to the car accident to mm. the present mm. kind of thing i think the, the book fills in a lot more details there about how how their kind of positions get reversed how you know, um, Jane as the child star sort of fell away and uh, Blanche became more of a movie star. Like their, their parents died. From what I gather, their parents died of the flu in the 20s, the big flu epidemic. Uh-huh. And they get adopted by an aunt who lives in Hollywood. And the aunt, you know, the, the dad favoured Jane, but the aunt favoured um, Blanche. Um, and that's the way that goes. Uh, now, me making stuff up, I wonder if perhaps um, Blanche wasn't the the, the father's daughter. Mm. I just, I, it's just the way he favours. Maybe it's just pure greed. I think it's and greed. He's, got, he's just yeah. got the start, but I, I, I just wonder if that there was a bit of a you know. I think yeah, the, that's me making shit up in my head about. Oh, I wonder if there's stuff stuff going on there because they judge, don't look alike. No, but I think judging by the film and how it's filmed, I mean. Um, because even though Jane is meant to be blonde, she could be a, a platinum bleat blonde for all we really know. Mm. But I think it's more that she was the talented meal ticket, a bit like a Judy Garland. She was yeah. the meal ticket, so she was a favourite, whereas Blanche seemed dowdy and not as glamorous, and she she just basically hadn't blossomed yet yeah. until she became a young adult and went to Hollywood. 
um, and then became the glamorous actress that like even the neighbours would say, oh, she was wonderful. I loved her and all of her. Because you know, well, she had a proper career, didn't she? Because reading between the lines and doing the maths, like uh, Baby Jane must have been a star for just a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By virtue of the fact that she was a kid, you know, children so, don't have that. No, and it and it was um, vaudeville as well. So it was 1917 yeah. when we first meet them. That's it. So, so it's vaudeville. Yeah, okay. She's kind of known at that point. She's got a bit of a, you know, you don't know if she's a, a big superstar, but she's kind of, she's famous. She's locally, locally known, theatre. Yeah. And then, but it was written in that in Blanche's contract, whatever film she had, they had to get a, a film or a role for her sister. Yeah. So that that Jane was always working as well. She just was never yeah. as successful written in this as yeah. Blanche was. Um, but I think despite the fact they're obviously both screwed up from childhood, I think the fact that as we discover at the end, um, because Jane was so drunk that night and was making fun of Blanche to all of her friends and mimicking her and taking the piss, it made <laughs> Blanche, that's what made yeah, Blanche so that, angry that she went and rammed the car into her, but snapped her own back instead because... That's going from naught to 60, isn't it, there? Isn't I mean, it, though, I've, isn't it? I've, I've got a slightly older sister, Roy, and we have pissed each other off like nobody's business, but never once have we tried to run one, and over, one, one or the other over in a car. Same with, with my older one, brother. And I mean, I can't drive, so I'd probably do it. No, see, that, yeah, that's where I'd, I'd fall down. I wouldn't even know I could start the car. <laughs> I mean, I'd, oh, no, I'd probably just start the car and accidentally hit her because I'd be like, blur, what am I doing i know um, how to drive and everything but uh, i've never Stacey's been setting up so an alibi already is, yeah but i've, <laughs> never, been, Watch out, I've never been been never so angry at my brother that i'd actually want to run him down with a car no. i've know. never wanted my sister dead i've no, wanted me, to smack her in her stupid face and i'm sure oh, yeah. she's got the same thing about me but i've never wanted to like actively cripple or kill her no. and i think i think that was where the movie lost a star for me because although the twist came out of nowhere and blindsided me and i thought that was amazing that it managed to do that mm. um it also did ring a little bit untrue for me because I was just like, you had one shitty party and you were like, fuck it, I'll run over her legs. Well, that, <laughs> and that'll think, be the end I, of I it. I think you yeah. have to assume. I mean, obviously, there's a history there, which is and why they show this stuff as kids. Years of it's, yeah, I think, I think you have to assume that it's, well, it's years and years you, of stuff. Well, you and say, yeah, I, I, w- I would agree with that if it wasn't for the fact that she'd had that stipulated in her contract to get Jane work. Because... That seems to me like a sister trying to do right by another sister. So mm. if you genuinely harboured, like, barely restrained rage for her and a party was the straw that broke the camel's back, I don't see you trying to support her in that way by getting her work and well, getting her movies. Well, it's, if, if you know, it, it also could be a way of just keeping her quiet. Quiet and happy. And, and yeah. just going, OK, well, I've got to, it's begrudging. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, you know, I'll put it in there. It makes no odds to me. Yeah, but yeah, you know, she gets these shitty films. I get the good roles. She can do. She can get. She these, gets money. She can get this low budget time. stuff. Yeah, she's out of my way then. But I could also see when you rewatch it, or even maybe you might have seen it in your first time watching it, when Blanche is talking to her housekeeper, their maid, who yeah. Betty Davis uh, sadly murders, clobbering over the head with a hammer. But um. Yeah. No, she, when, I just want to say, what a great little character that is. Oh, a great actress. Oh, great actress. Tremendous. What a role. Reminded me a lot of uh, Thelma Ritter in, in Rear yeah, Window. Yeah. It's that kind of That kind thing. of role. But to be toe-to-toe with Betty Davis like that as well was great. Yeah. But it just, 
occurred to me when I was watching it's like you can see you can sort of see Blanche's guilt in what she has done to her yeah. sister when she say to um her mate I've got a name written down the character uh it's Elvira Elvira yeah. yeah saying to her things like oh you didn't know Jane before she was always so sweet so you know she was kinder yeah. she was nicer and all this you know you didn't know it's like oh Okay. Well, that's it. Because my really theory is a bit bad is, about what we've done to her. Yeah. My my theory is obviously they they were rivals as kids. Mm. I think I think there was a lot of stuff boiling under under the surface, but I don't think Jane was as was clearly she lost her mind over the the last since the accident. Yeah. And she, I think yeah. she's got worse. I think it's it's clear just from the the like the film clip she's together and all that kind of where you see the role. So she's clearly functional mm. for a large part of her life. So I think they were just out of each other's hair for a lot of it. And it was the accident that shoved them together. Like the big question I had through the movie is why the hell is she upstairs? Do you know, I I actually wrote that down and I wondered whether that was just a a sort of um, nod to the fact that accessibility wasn't particularly a large concern. Yeah, that's like, is that jane being controlling and making sure that that's blanche's room or is that something blanche does to know that i've you know after the end of the film i was like oh maybe actually that was something blanche chose to be able to control jane Jane. by having to buzz her and get her constantly to like get me some lunch or get me this it's definitely yeah it's definitely a control play and it could be seen on both sides yeah i could clearly see that when it started off it was it was it would have been um blanche's idea this is my bedroom this has been my bedroom since we were kids because it's established that that's their childhood home yes. and all that yeah yeah that they were there and then and she doesn't need to go anywhere she can you know have mm. uh, jane running around and and waiting on her hand and foot um and then you, you know realize you know years later that works against her because at mm. some point Jane realizes that she's got the power in the in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and at, at some point, I assume you know, it kind of it was trucking along for a long while, and gradually it got it degraded and so on. So uh, it's the it's the prospect of them of uh, Blanche selling the house, isn't it? That's the sort of trigger event for Jane. That's to yeah. Really go well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's certainly the, the triggers the end. I think I think the the one that that unbalanced. Uh, um uh jane originally is the fact that um her uh you know i'm getting jane and blanche confused the, the trigger event for for jane is that blanche's films are now on tv and yeah. her fame is kind of percolating back up she's getting fan mail again especially with and, her neighbor saying oh we just watched one of your sister's films and i've really loved yeah. such fan of your sister's so films, you know i could i could see that for a while there was, a, there was an equilibrium Mm. that you know okay now neither of them have got a career neither of them have got anything going on they're both stuck in the house together and i could see that for several years they'd just be kind of stuck percolating together with each other mm-hmm. you know and then then the tv comes along and and um blanche's films start to get shown on tv and her kind of uh careers kind of re- revived her fame's revived the fan mail starts coming in and stuff like that and that's what starts that triggers off um, especially i mean because uh says it herself you know she started drinking again Mm -hmm. 
and you can sort of see that you know it is the trigger um the catalyst being that's the films are happening again the, the fan mail's coming in so jane starts drinking now when jane starts drinking that's perhaps when things really start to deteriorate um on a mental level perhaps for jane but absolutely that seems to be the like the triggering effect and the, they obviously don't well the money they have is obviously like residuals and money from blanche's career mm. more so than than jones because also if they'd had enough money in actuality with the size of that house and it being america they could have built in a form of lift for her to get up and down yeah. the stairs well, they're, still, they're still quite well off from what you know from the dialogue and stuff yeah they're still quite well off i think at, just at this point and I, I realize I'm we're literally just inventing plots now mm. is that, you know, I, I, I think there was like I say, there was, there was an equilibrium there. There, there was there was the an equal power thing that, you know, uh, was. Although, although she was disabled and stuck up there, she had um, Jane to, to yeah. wait on her hand and foot. So the, I don't think that was an issue. And I don't like say also, I don't know if they'd really think about that sort of stuff. Would you, you just accept the situation that it is and make do with what it is? Because it's a big house. She yeah. could have easily have just right to start just move. I mean, we've we've had that. We've had family members move in because of you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you you do. You just move a bed downstairs and, and that's it. You just convert a room. And they, they've clearly got plenty of rooms there. It's a big oh, yeah. old house. So um, but this, this is what I like about it, because it's it is these aren't me looking at it and going oh well that's a plot hole that needs you know there's certain films we've reviewed where i've gone well i can't get past this because of this thing makes no sense or that makes makes no sense but this makes this is me digging into it to go well what's the rest of the story here what what haven't we been told what's going on in the intervening years you know because it does track that it would be you know a resurgence of blanche's fame and fortune to track because then that's when jane sets off with i'm going to bring back my 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 act yeah, my exactly, baby yeah. jane act and gets all her costumes remade and oh, hires the pianist and every yeah. time she went somewhere and tried to do the don't you know who i am bit yes yeah. I'm, ba- I'm baby jane hudson and people are like oh, oh right yeah. yes of course who the fuck is, the fuck that? is that yeah um yeah. Oh my god, that got me every time because I'm yeah. like, she's so like stuck in. You're stuck in the past, and you're not connecting past. with yeah. reality at this moment to see that people yeah. don't know who you are anymore, and you're not, yeah. you're not your sister who was I mean, Hollywood famous. I say clearly, her life peaked when she was nine, yeah, and she never got past you know, it. Yeah. Which is which is hard. That's yeah. that's harsh. You know, and and again, that suggests that although she was local famous, she wasn't. You know, she was long-term famous. Wasn't she globally was, long-term famous. Yeah, like she was Blanche's a bit of a. I mean, you, you have me. these kind of flash in the pan kind of celebrities who were big for a few years and mm. then they kind of disappear. I mean, it happens a lot with child actors. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you know, they they come and go. They come and get all you know, grow up and then they lose their cute factor or whatever it was they had going yeah. on. And I can imagine that being even more so in the theatre. Oh, absolutely. Uh, where it is, yeah. you, you're not in everybody's homes. You're literally they have to come to you kind of thing and once you've gone they'll go to somebody else especially if it's the cuteness factor that is your talent you're not actually talented yeah. it's just that you're kind of cute and gimmicky like the doll yeah 
you know. That's, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm like, that's, clearly that's why the dad was so fixated on making something, because he, he must know that this is going to be a temporary thing. This isn't going to last forever. It's not going to last. And, it, um, and of course, you know, you know, Vaudeville didn't. The Vaudeville actors went into Hollywood because yeah. talking pictures and pictures took over from going to the theatre for quite a while. Yeah. You know, so. Oh, so juicy, this film. Yeah, so can, can we talk about that horrible, creepy song that she sings? Oh, so, I've she sings... written a letter to Daddy. <laughs> and I was like, already, this is oh, weird. And then yeah. the next one is like, what? Is the the girl's is from above or something? No, do you know what's the creepiest about it? That, well, to me anyway, the th- I wrote this down immediately as it happened. Why did the little boy in the crowd want to hear that song? Because it starts in the theatre with the, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. and there and the dad comes on the stage and he's like, right, come on, we've got time for one more song. Let's get a request in. And this little boy stands up and tantamount to just shouting, let me hear the dead dad song. Like, <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I was like, why does a little boy want to hear a little girl sing a song? I mean, there was very little entertainment those days. It's little entertainment. Know. It's just Good after Lord. the first. It's just I after just, the First World War. There's got to be a no, better song than that. During mate. the First World War, 1917. 1917. The war song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine Louise. that it's. Yeah, I, that's her kind of. I, I get the feeling that that's her hit. That's that's, that's, that's her one, one hit one. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one that crops up. That crops up a lot. What I found very creepy slash upsetting as well was, um, you know, when we get to the point where uh, where Victor Bueno comes into the film uh, as as like um, Baby Jane's new pianist for the new show that she's going to revive and it's going to be all the old songs and he looks at all the sheet music on the piano and nearly every song is something about a daddy and I was like oh my god this this girl was so like her her dad was such a cunt like he he favorited her so much when she was younger that she clearly to me anyway believed that he's the only family member that ever really truly loved her yeah. And she is obsessed with him and she misses him like crazy, like yeah. almost as much as she misses being baby Jane Hudson. Because I, I, think, I think, Jane. yeah, I think her baby Jane persona and her dad are tied together mm. because if he died in 1918, according to the book, that's the next year. So she would have mm. been in a, you know, in her prime. So she yeah. so her her fame would have disappeared at the same time her dad went. Yeah. Both parents yeah. went. So I think it's significant that she's missing a dad and she doesn't mention her mum again. Mm-hmm. But um, so I think those are all tied together. And she just fixates on that kind of period, that window of where it was her and her dad on mm-hmm. stage. Um, because, it, you know, he was part of the act, I gather, from from what yeah. bit we see. What bits we see. Do stuff. But it's but it's but yeah, I, I thought it was funny when she started singing that song on the stage as a kid. Already I had like shivers going up my spine going, oh, please, God, we're going to have her singing this as an old lady, aren't we? And we and did. I, I, could, I could hear it in oh. my head already. I'm going, oh, that's going to be horrible. Because she's not a singer, is our Betty. She no. wasn't a singer. And it was well, not she's good. She's not known for having a particularly sweet voice. At neither. all. No, she has a very harsh voice. She's, she's known for that smoker's Yeah. I mean, she was like, she's probably like two packs a day. Do you know what yeah. got me about the adult rendition when she did it as older jane was when the footlights came on you know mm. she switches on the lights when he's playing yeah. the piano which she thinks is amazing and she's like and she literally is like a little girl again isn't she when yeah. she's with victor and he's playing the piano and then she flips the switch and the lights properly come on and then all of a sudden we get that kind of upshot 
and yeah. they got, we've got these footlights on. There's there's a lovely bit where she kind of steps under the under the lights. Yeah. And, yeah. And that imitates like a spotlight. And I thought that was a beautiful, it's beautifully just a shot, beautifully staged little really moment. Is. They, they, he, he, you know, Aldrich did a lovely job in this in the cinematographer. There's certain mm. moments in this film that are just. It's interesting because it was clearly like a, a micro budget film. There was very oh, yeah. little money spent on yeah. it at all. Yeah. And sometimes it looks exactly what you know. It looks yeah. bog standard, like a TV shot. You know, it's you know nothing special yeah. about it. But then you get other moments that are just so majestic. Mm. Uh, like I say, the car crash thing is is the cheapest way of shooting that car crash as possible there's no expense being made, spent on that and then but you get these lovely little shots like there's the bit where um uh, blanche is getting frustrated and she's going round and round in circles in the i wheelchair. find that so comical though and, i can't help but see this is, this is something again that i found in my research and i kind of knew already that it's a huge big kind of cult favorite with like drag queens and yeah so yeah. on and yeah. it's very camp now i was watching it going I don't see where they're getting the camp from mm. at all. Apart from the fact that you know, you've got you know Jane dressed up in a essentially drag, but she's wearing think, kind yeah. of child drag rather than yeah. gender I th- drag. I think the camp is a lot to do with the makeup of both Joan and Betty, especially yeah. Betty, because she apparently devised her own makeup for this yeah. role. Well, um, yeah, apparently she did. I mean, she's got the whole eyebrows thing. It's always bothered yeah. me about her, her eyebrows. In, what Jane Crawford? Um, yeah, that, yeah, that kind of drawn well, on look. I mean, because her look was actually grew over over the years in Hollywood. Yeah. So uh, a particular fashion designer said she just didn't have an ideal look. So that um, she had, oh, well, I think she had broad shoulders, and that's when the shoulder pads came out, and that's when. That's know, it. They told us to work because you see the old stuff, and she looks like. Oh man, I've forgotten her name. Norma Garbo. Oh, Greta Garbo. Yeah. She looks like yeah. Greta Garbo early on. Yeah. And and there was an interview thing on the DVD sort of saying about, oh, she was told to to develop her own look. That was it. And I thought, oh, I can see it because she she looks like, you know, you know, she, she looks like Greta every other Garbo. kind of star. Yeah. yeah. And they kind of developed that. She grew her eyebrows out and she, you know, and then she big eyebrows and, stuff and the, the, the mouth and, out. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And the, ha- the hair with the victory rolls and stuff. I That's mean, it. So if you look at her early stuff with like Clark Gable to then see her in The Women, two very different looks. And then you go yeah. to Mildred Pierce and then you've got the Joan Crawford look, you know. Yeah. I mean, like I, said, I only knew, I think we mentioned this before when we were talking about, was this when we were talking about all about Eve? I can't remember. We, we mentioned a bit about, I only really know Joan Crawford from her really late stuff. Yeah. Where yeah. she was, it would have been after this, like in the 70s when she was doing TV Oof, when she was, yeah. she was popping up in like i think it was in like disaster movies and stuff like she, where she basically john crawford playing herself yeah she was coming on as you know john crawford as, interesting. The, as the name one of the most ridiculous things of her career path was when her daughter i think it, it was christine was in hospital and couldn't be she was doing a tv like daytime soap Mm. and she was in hospital and she had an operation or something she just she couldn't be in the show for a while so her mother Joan Crawford said I will play her role <laughs> and she did it's batshit crazy but she Still, went into the show and played the role until yeah. her daughter came back okay do you know what now I believe that she wore a weighted belt yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny I always find it interesting you know when they do 
because um, there's, there's always a thing in these long-range shows like soaps and, and even just like near dramas and stuff when the lead actress gets pregnant in real yeah. life and they either have to write the pregnancy in and have the, the person H- hide it to, or swap them which is, which is a kiss <laughs> i think it's a kiss of death to a show usually yeah um you know the, the moonlight in effect Mm. Or or they have to just shoot around the bomb kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They have standing behind bunches of flowers and, and tables and that kind and of stuff. And large handbags. And I just wonder if if he, if they couldn't just go I always want to see somebody just put up like a you know, put a title up at the start of the episode saying, In this episode, such the actress is pregnant, the character is is not. Yeah. We you know, please indulge us. Yeah. You know, and see if you know, will that work? Just just beg the you know, the indulgence. Oh, audience to go absolutely would not it would not work in a soap at all people are so engrossed in what these beloved characters are doing Mm. it would it just but then again i mean they they did that with um was it home and away or something like that one of one of the the main actresses was ill they were swapped her out for someone and and they just said yeah see that works for for this episode yeah this role is going to be played by this that's that's just like theater you put it because like theater yeah you bring out the uh yeah, yeah, the understudy goes it, in. Yeah, I was going to say reserve. I thought that's not right. That's not, <laughs> you know, the backup. The backup. Know? The backup chick. Um, yes, the but sorry, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. We, we whatever happened to tangent. Whatever ta- happened to baby um, Jane. I I have a little uh, little request of our, our lovely listeners. Um, just to say that uh, if you ever get the opportunity to watch the colorized version of this film, don't. No, don't, 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 no. don't know. Um, because one of the things, because we we're talking about makeup just now, one of the things that I think is really clever about the makeup that they do on um, Betty Davis uh, mm. as Baby Jane is um, they quite obviously make her skin like a lot more pale, mm. um, which in the black and white just reads as her being kind of pale <laughs> um, and it really enhances the sort of the big red lips, the little uh, love heart mole yeah. that she draws on occasionally. Um, and gets smeared around a lot. Oh, no. yeah. 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 And in the, the colourised version, she looks like a fucking clown. Oh, it's awful. Uh, well, that's it. I just, thought, yeah, she looked like a like joker. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. so stupid. It's like, look at this fucking pantomime villain. Like, yeah. it's mm. awful. Don't do it to yourself. I mean, in the black and white, you can see it's like Elizabethan caked on white pancake. And mm. it looks gr- grotesque as it should. But I watched the colorized version for the first time, just a snippet of it on YouTube today. Because, oh, that's mm. interesting. I'd, I'd quite like to see some of the scenes colorized. But it was not a good job on Betty's face <laughs> and it just looked like terrifying. Say, that, that sort of white caked on look works in the black and white because yeah. it just reads as somebody trying to Absolutely. look cake their face in makeup and look younger. Look younger, yeah. Um, but what it looks like in the colourised version is somebody oh, applying a clown face yeah. and it's just, just so shit. Yeah. It's so, and I'm sorry because it must, it must take a lot of time and effort and skill to colourise movies, um, but... Uh, no, Not, no. <laughs> I mean it's a, it's a hiding for nothing. I've never liked colorized movies anyway. I don't, I, I don't really understand the point. Like if the film was intended to be seen, yeah. I mean, it, it was it suppose. was all about selling movies again. Yeah, there, there was. Mm. I mean, the, I mean, I think colorization started in the early eighties, late seventies. I think early eighties. And it was. I I want to say it was. It was some TV TCM or something like that. Some movie channel in the states. Was, was was setting up and they wanted to reshow all these movies and they just thought well nobody's going to watch them if they're all black and white so they, they decided to like, colorize them all 
yeah. and um, Time Warner, I can't remember. So it's that's what it happened. Was, it, it was, was TCA, just to resell yeah. them to people again, and they just look horrible, which is why so many of them look so bad as well, because they were done 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Well yeah. Ocean, it's it's a wonderful life. It's been done. I think it's Turner Classic Movies, which is yeah, that's yeah, it. T- yeah. TCM. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, it's that's TCM. Well yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's why they, they tend to look so awful. And it's, it's just horrible and unnecessary anyway well i think it, it with this particular film as well because of the way her makeup reads in the color version it just it just doesn't it doesn't work for the film at all because she comes mm. across as like a pantomime villain I, I so when, you, when you discover later that actually she's just been she's not swimming villain. in guilt forever and gone a bit doolally with it mm. and been tipped over the edge lately by the prospect of both uh, losing a house Blanche, and probably yeah, losing her childhood home and Blanche getting fame again yeah from having her TVs on the, uh, um, her movies uh, on the TV like it's it doesn't it doesn't work at all because it's just she comes across to it's 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 too jokey it's too it, yeah too super villainy mm, I thought, obvious I thought, I thought. yeah yeah, yeah. And, like it, and I'm not wrong in thinking that it, no it was yeah definitely Universal Monster but also Blanche basically trying to phone the doctor to have Jane sort of sort of put away really mm. uh, like padded room put away kind of thing um which you can yeah I mean you're on her side at that point you're going okay she's clearly been, you, you, you get it what, yeah yeah but what I thought was interesting and it, it and it comes down to the revelation at the end like one of the things this film really reminded me of was misery the Stephen yeah. King um, yeah. book uh, and the movie now Stephen King's a big fan of this film he talks about it in um dance macabre which is his non-fiction book about where he analyzes horror and stuff like that and he mentions um this several times um and i i I was watching i'm going okay yeah i can see there's a lot of this in misery Mm. there's a you know it's like it's like misery but set in the suburb rather than being Mm. out in the cabin in the middle of nowhere it's like this shit is going on in your neighbor's house which yeah. is even scarier that it's just going there. But what yeah. what it doesn't really do much, it does a little bit, but it, it doesn't, you don't really have that sense of her trying to escape an awful lot. There's a few little moments where something like misery is built around him trying to escape yeah. through the whole thing. So there's, there's little bits and there's, you know, there's, she throws the note out and in the weediest way possible. <laughs> yeah. just I mean, come just... on. <laughs> I know, I know you're getting on a bit, but you can but throw better than that. You can throw better than that, but also it's like, and they're, they're only the moments when things are getting a bit heightened between her yeah. and Jane, and she's 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 realizing that Jane's becoming unstable again, and she's harder yeah. to control when she's in that mindset. Yeah, and that's and a big problem for her. One of the things I found really interesting about it is that there's no real combat in it until until a bit later on. But the bit where she like gives, you know, puts feeds of the bird, essentially. She kills yeah. the bird and puts the bird on a dinner plate. And then there's the dead rat she puts on the dinner plate, which is the big mm. famous moment. But um, Blanche doesn't really address these at all. She just covers them up and is clearly traumatized. And, you know, there's oh, a yeah. psychological yeah. battle going on and that she's, you know, but, you know, you know I... isn't eaten and stuff like that. But there's no big kind of. She confrontation doesn't fight back on it. like that but i can only well, put that down to the fact that it's because she's the reason these this is happening it's well, her, it's her yeah fault, you look back you know? and you and you go yeah. well i can't Once say you, anything about it 
yeah once you know I, the I, twist yeah you know, once once yeah if i start digging into this stuff's going to come out you know yeah. if we start yeah. arguing about this once we start down this path so it just uh, there's a lot of stuff and you can just see how it got there because mm. if this stuff isn't getting dealt with these big things if <laughs> you kill my bird and then you put it on my dinner plate which is just absurd and you know horrific thing to do to somebody yeah to, <laughs> to put you know just a dead animal on their plate and go there you go and no <laughs> it's just like, you, what the hell you kind of and have to wonder in a if way that's not getting dealt with what else isn't that getting dealt with because you, know? you can't yeah quite because you have to wonder in a way how much did did uh, Jane actually really know? Because I know at the end, there's the famous line at the end of the film where um, Jane says, you mean after all this time we could have been friends? Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, imagine she tr- your sister tries to kill you and your first thought is, once you find out, oh, well, we could have we could have not been shit like, oh, what? Yeah, we could have been yeah. mates, you know. I was like, but I don't think I'd ever be mates with you again if you'd attempted to hit me with your car where, and just fucked you around. I think, I'd, I think I'd sue you for all the riches of Hollywood well, money I, gave you. Well, I think it's one of those things. I think there's a lot made of that line. She's about, a bit dim. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, she's not on any level She's, lost functioning at <laughs> she's, that point. she's yeah. gone by this point. Yeah. So, I mean, but my interpretation of that isn't that it's just since the accident or all these years. I think that's going right back. Right she's back talking about children. them as sisters. Yeah, yeah, she's going right back to when they were kids. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. her going, seeing her whole life. Again, this is just my interpretation. But I just think she's just seen their whole relationship from when they were kids. And just going, there's a whole other life mm. we've had together as sisters and friends. Because I just, there's part of me that thinks like, was Jane so, so like jealous and fed up with being like handmaiden to her sister, the famous sister, that that's why she felt it was, it's all right to torment her by killing her budgie and throwing it on a lunch plate and then yeah. finding a dead rat and shoving that on a dinner plate. And it's like, what is the damage that has happened to make yeah. you do just such heinous things I mean, and, like, I mean, and like you said Lee, you know blanche has not come back at her with any yeah. she's not stopping her spending money or buying well she sort of tried to stop her spending money but but jane found a way around that but that, <laughs> so. yeah i mean yeah i mean there's the whole stuff about the drinking and stuff like mm. that but yeah you, know, you, you you again you, you have to imagine that at some point they must have hit an equilibrium and got on fairly well yeah. for some period of time because you know they didn't get any extra they can afford extra help they've got they've got a vara coming in yeah apparently once a week or yeah. something like that and you think well you know you could have again maybe i'm putting 21st century kind of function on on something from the 1960s you know you think well surely she'd have home help coming in and mm. and stuff like that you know to help out neither of them i mean Here's here's the funny thing is they they both look like they're in the seventies. They're not. But but like but Betty's was only they're like fifty five. They're only in their fifties. And fact. I think and I think I think Joan was like fifty nine. Although yeah. nobody knows how old Joan. No one was, knows cause... how Joan Crawford is because she never revealed her birth certificate and gave birth, two yeah, years. But she's, she's probably yeah, good, right. she was probably two or three years older than Betty. So but they were both in their their mid fifties. So yeah. when they made so, this. So, so now fifties is nothing. I mean I'm heading on to mid fifties and I look like an adonis frankly so whereas you know people did age and i think it's down to the the, the smoking and the and the, oh, the drink and, and, and stuff booze. like that you know i mean um, you look yeah. at you know you look at the you know so many of these actors and all look older than you think they are and like what a 50 year old looked like then 
he's completely different to what a 50 year old looks like yeah there's a, still, a little, little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent but there is a there is a twitter account that's um <laughs> that's based on this thing of people looking older back in the day and it even comes up to like the 80s it's like pictures of footballers and you're supposed to guess which one of the two is the oldest one yeah, yeah, but they yeah. always always all of them look like they're in the 50s and it will turn out that they're like 24 and 32 yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true i mean you look at, you look at, yeah look at pop stars in the eight mid-year was like in his 20s and he looks like he's in his 40s with because yeah. all the guys had mustaches which ages you immediately yeah, yeah. you know it's all it's mental stuff i mean but you know yes because at the time this is so this is 62 Two. but by this time both ladies had done so much hollywood so they would have had so much makeup and it was heavy makeup they'd be wearing mm. all the time joan you know she never went out without a full face yeah. So it's you know, and I mean, all, I mean but, that's that's old school makeup but that had but it, to be heavy back in, and it was heavy based. Yeah. But also, you know, yes, there was a smoking and the drinking. But also for this particular film, they also dragged themselves down considerably to what they would normally be seen as. So they would also yeah. look I mean, older. Yeah. I mean, Betty's clearly designed to be grotesque. Absolutely. So, you know, she, yeah. Oh, I tell you what, though, I very much resented the neighbour kid calling her the fat sister. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was a yeah. weird little. I was like, "Are you comment. kidding me? Are you? She's not even what? I lost my mind." <laughs> she's a shit actress anyway, so it's you know. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but like when so. But that was like, her daughter. A real that was her daughter. Daughter, so so I, I daughter. I can imagine that being a bit of a more of a gag Jab as well. Yeah. You know, a, a bit of an in joke role. Yeah. But it, it it just shows you, I think, as well, the kind of film. language we we're used to now. A simple, you know, fat guy, really, but, you know, really jars. But Betty would have been considered heavy uh, as well. Joan yeah. was always, you know, the shapely, gorgeous sex bomb. Mm. And Betty was more of like the what they would have said, like the frumpy character actress, the serious actress. We've talked about this before, Jenny, I think, mm. on about saying instead of hiring actors who look interesting or are ugly, for example, they will now stick prosthetics on absolutely some handsome devil yeah. instead they yeah. stick a bald wig or a fat suit or whatever yeah. a false nose on them rather than hiring an interesting looking character Person. actor, yeah, or, character something actor like or something like yeah. that yeah and it, and it kind of drives me up the wall when particularly when you know certain actors and actresses will get plaudits for going oh but aren't they brave for you know oh, all the time. This role yeah. or having that bald wig on yeah. or and that you go, ah, come on! But you, you see, know? Charlotte Locke every day. <laughs> yeah. Just, just hire a decent character actor. You it's know? like every award season, you know, when a certain film has come out, and, a, and especially an actress, I'm sad to say, has done exactly what you said, Lee, like a fat suit. They've, like, like the like Betty and Joan did in this, but they weren't applauded for it as much as today's actresses would have been. It was like really drab themselves down. You know instinctively that person's going to be nominated for an Oscar and they'll possibly win it too because, oh, bravo to them to allowing them. How brave to not wear any makeup or go, you know, makeup for it's like everyday mate. That's my life every day. But do you know why? Because I can't can be bothered with makeup. <laughs> exactly <Gosh>. right. <laughs> How much effort and money? Jeez. Exactly right. Oh, anyway. I tell you though, what did come out of this film though, um, because of the the look of the ladies and the way that their characters are portrayed, 
it sort of started like a subgenre. Yeah, which the psycho called, biddies, which well, is there's a, a horrible. Psych, but it was also called hagsploitation. Hagsploitation, <laughs> yeah, which I just felt. There was there was another one called uh, uh, Grand Dame Guinol, which I kind of like. Yeah. But, but I, 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 I thought, oh, senior psychos was right there. Why yeah. didn't they call it senior? <laughs> but yeah, there was there was a whole. There was a whole it, swath of them all, after this. Yeah, all of these movies. Um, because, even, um, I mean, Joan did Trog. And yeah, I watched Trog recently. Now, I've, that, never, I've not seen it, but I'd like to. I think it'd yeah, be fun I to mean, watch. Yeah, I wouldn't rush. No, I saw, <laughs> no, not, I, not I at saw, all. That was, that was shown on ITV when I was about 10 or 11. Yeah. They were showing these horror films called The Creature Features on a Friday night. And I was late to stay up. And I didn't like horror films, and they scared the shit out of me every time. And I, I, I don't know why I bothered. And I well, watched them watch quite them. recently. I, do, I dug out these creature features and I watched them. I watched Trog because it traumatised me. And it's yeah. the tamest thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but she's in it. But she, she's a goodie in that. So I yes, I, she, I saw this yeah. listed a few times. I'm going, no, she, she's the heroine of it. She's the the, the, the hero doctor of the, yeah. of the movie. Yeah. But, well, um, the, but yeah, I mean, after this, um, uh, Robert Aldrich did another one called The Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Sweet Charlotte. Now, that's uh, an interesting one. Which yeah. was, I haven't seen that one. I, I want to see I, that. I've uh, seen it. I've got it. It's it's actually very good. And, and it's an interesting one because it was sort of a pseudo sequel to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Mm. And it was meant to star Betty Davis and Joan Crawford again. In fact, it did. They were both cast. Um, the roles were reversed. So Betty Davis became the character that sort of gaslit into becoming hopefully go crazy sort of thing mm. and, and all that and and joan would be the the nasty character but it didn't quite work out like this one did there was a lot more going on joan feigned illness uh mm. and rested up in hospital to shut down production apparently the idea being some had said that if she stayed in hospital long enough she felt they'd have to shut down the entire film she didn't feel like she was being given a good role, good lines, that Betty Davis was getting all of the screen time best, you know, all bits and bobs and pieces. Yeah, that weight belt is becoming more plausible. Every, every it, it, just, uh, it just all becomes very petty and it came to a yeah. head where the studio ordered her back on set because she wasn't ill, apart from being stressed and, you know, usual sort of things from um, causing your same, own strife. At the same time. Kind of that kind. Of, I could I could also see that that she was genuinely ill and genuinely in hospital, and there was just no sympathy for that. There was that too for a because she 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 did then make herself ill because, or she felt that she was ill because she'd fooled herself into thinking it, but she was yeah. technically fine. She discharged herself from hospital, went back to work, then put herself back into hospital, and then she got fired. Yeah. And they instead, and, and according to Joan, she wasn't told by the studio. She found out on the radio. What they did was they hired Olivia de Havilland, yeah. who was a good friend of Betty Davis, um, to come in and take over Joan's role. Which now by that time Olivia de Havilland had more or less retired, and she was living in is it Switzerland? Mm-hmm. I think Switzerland, Sweden. And Robert Aldridge had to get over to visit her and convince her to do the film. And Betty had called her and said to her, "Come and do it," and she did. She agreed and, and came and did the film. And according to Joan Crawford, she found out on the radio. Um, yeah. And that stuff still happens. You know, yeah. people will find out on Twitter that they're, yeah, you know, they, they've been sacked it, or their show's been cancelled and all that uh, kind of stuff. And all that. So it's it's so that's it's quite sad. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'd say that's it, that's how. But, you that's know, how you it works. Well, if you're going to you know, 
if you're going to fuck them around, then yeah, it's kind of like, well, wish you screwed over, or did you get a just desserts? You know, exactly. Are you yeah. going to get that attitude? But yeah, yeah, there was a whole slew of these things, and most of them had like question titles, which shows yeah. how kind of influence it was. There was there was yeah. one called Whatever Happened to Auntie Alice? <laughs> Whoever slew Auntie Rue? What's the matter with Helen? And then there was the the sequel to Rosemary's Baby called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby, which I saw in that ad, and which is why I'm completely confused about. I thought that and this were the same film yeah. for, for a period. I thought this was a sequel to uh, Rosemary's Baby. Baby. So um, yeah, but it's just it's just I think I think that kind of um, psycho biddies kind of genre lasted for about ten fifteen years. I think it started mm. into the seventies. Mm. I mean there, there was a like. It's interesting reading up about it, claiming there was there was a bit of a a fuss about it. I mean, for a start, I mean, this film, um, whatever happened to Baby Jane, was quite controversial when it came out. I mean, clearly it's quite tame. There's no real gore, very little no. violence. It's most of its employee were off screen, um, but it was it was it was felt. But it's kind of got an atmosphere about it, and it was seen as quite squalid and and sordid and unpleasant. Mm. I mean, it got an X certificate in the UK which is equivalent to an 18. Now it's got a 12, which is a bit more reasonable, I think. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, but there was a lot of criticisms of this, of this like psycho biddy genre saying about, oh, well, it's, you've got all these great actresses who are, you know, lowering themselves to do these, th- you know, shock thrillers and horror movies and stuff. Mm. I think, well, they're working. They're, yeah. They've got work and a job. You know, they've got grandmas. They've they got these really nice, juicy parts now, these big, juicy roles Juicy parts was a. I regret that phrase. <laughs> Juicy well, I roles. I was going to gloss over that, but I was going to pretend these, I had these villains uh, and and so on. They get to really tear up the uh, tear up the scenery. Yeah. And do not. That's great. You know, that's, they're working. Revive their careers. It revived. Uh, you know, Betty and Joan's careers. It did. It yeah. gave them great work for the next. You know, I mean, Joan sadly died in the seventies. But, it, you know, it did reignite hers and Betty's uh, career. What was the name of that actress who was in Friday the 13th, the original? Because that's a, it's a similar thing. You know, she was yeah. she was like she was like everyone's TV sweetheart. You know, everyone loved. And it turns out she's just this manic uh, murderer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it, it's almost been like this. It comes from, I guess, from the witch trope, the, the evil witch trope going yeah. back to fairy tales and stuff like that but i think it just makes a change from having yeah. you know a guy an axel world in you know your, your oh, michael yeah. myers and your and your jason yeah. Voorhees yeah. and all that kind of stuff well, but um, it's um it's like you were saying before as well like there, there, there's not there's not a lot of roles for older women uh yeah. you're not allowed mm-hmm. to age in, uh, hollywood, in hollywood really no. and so like if i was an older actress and somebody came to me and said do you want to do this film where you get to play an absolute nutter and you can hit someone in the head with a hammer uh i'd be like um yes please please yeah absolutely that sounds great and i think as well that sort of like blase comment of like oh you know it's you know old biddies killing people it's rubbish whatever like it actually really undersells this film because the one one of the things i really liked about it is that it it had the it absolutely had the potential to become a joke mm-hmm. um you know they could have they could have really leaned into her being an absolute maniac they could have leaned into making blanche a little bit more 
if if not unhinged because obviously you don't want to hint at the twist but yeah. you know like you say they could have had her as being more shrill confrontational you yeah. know uh, th- there's a lot of stuff they could have done to make both of these characters much more uh shit <laughs> yeah. um and i think i think it's i think it's really well written in the sense that i actually like you were saying lee i actually felt sorry for both of them by the end of the yeah. movie mm. because their lives were so fucked up by sibling rivalry and fame and the fleeting nature of it and their yeah. stupid favoritist dad that that this is what became of their relationship they just constantly competed until one of them tried to kill the other and then they just had to live together in a shitty situation for both of them yeah. until yeah. one of them finally cracked <laughs> this is what kind of bothers me when it's kind of just kind of swept away as being yeah. oh well it's camp I thought, no, it's, no, it's, it's not. Deep stuff. It there's, there's, there's some really deep psychological shit going on in this. Mm-hmm. You can I mean, you really get your teeth in. And like I, I thought the end was fantastic, and it love, really yeah. took me by surprise. I love the ending because I mean, you you think it's gonna go, it's gonna turn into a big axe wielding stalk mm. around the house thing. It's just sad. And it completely it's just really sad. And it, and it went up when it went off to the beach. I was like, okay. I have no idea where this is going now. You know, my brain immediately was like, is she going to do something awful, like regress to childhood and like bury her sister in the sand and then she's going to drown? Yes, (laughs) yes, because there's a a shot where you see... Oh, she's patting the sandcastle. Yeah, she's sand like lying on the yeah. sand, patting the sand. I thought, has she just buried her? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought she'd Yeah, I, I, I fully like thought. Half ending to, yeah. <laughs> to a movie. What the hell? And then you go, you pull back, and it's not, but it's still, and it goes on a bit. But it's it's really nicely done, and really, and then they they are kind of regressive to childhood, and uh, Blanche is there basically dying on, mm. on the beach, and like there's people all around. And I thought, God, well, I think, I'm not sure what they this think is she's just lounging there, don't they? They think oh yeah, just... they just think she's having a sleep in a full yeah, boiler suit, wrapped in a blanket, just having yeah. a little snooze. And it's, it's, it's just so macabre that this is all happening. Like I say, it's like it's like misery or psycho happening in the in the house next door. And then it's happening on a beach surrounded by people. But it's so brilliantly it's paced. Really that entire that entire think, section. That final shot as well of it sort of pulling out while um you know the, the Jane's doing are, the dance and that. And, and Jane yeah. that is so haunting her yeah. just sort of like because do you know what it reminded me of? It actually kind of tickled me. The way she's dancing and the crowd are all around her reminded me of the ending of Disney's Sleeping Beauty, right? Where yeah. she's dancing around the da- and there's people yeah, yeah. around the da- and the dress is changing. But then like off to the side of that, you've just got these policemen like checking whether or not Blanche is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like, Jane's just, she's just so broken and oblivious to what what's actually just to occurred honest, and what's yeah. happened. And, I and mean, what, uh, what struck me is that it, it feels you get to that point and then you step back and you go, that feels exactly like something that might happen. Yeah. That you you can imagine reading that in the newspaper and it turned out that she'd been held captive for so many, so years, many years and yeah. this had been going on and yada 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 and you go, yeah, I can. These things happen. It, it feels big and mm. other time but it's not really you, you, it pulls back in your realization you know you literally see how small they are yeah. and what a small story it is really yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know it's, there's no burning buildings no explosions no it's, ma- it's like massively that. concise and small and what it's yeah. doing do i think that sometimes betty davis was absolutely chewing the scenery yes oh she was but i think but i loved it she's, and it was she's not doing it just to be broad oh no she, i think yes. she's doing it because she's 
she's li- well, she's out of her literally she's out of her mind. It's, it is just yeah. the character that, and she's and, a and she was a superb character actress. Yeah. She and the just, character's performing. Yeah. yeah. When she's doing when she's doing all this big stuff, she's literally performing for whoever's yeah. there or for herself. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it, but it's yeah, it, it, I think it's although it's big and broad, I think it's quite nuanced. There's some very real moments in mm. there, and she'll swing from one to the other. Like when she, I mean, the bit where she feeds her, gives her the rat. Yeah. And then you see her like laughing hysterically outside. Yeah. This, clearly, it's like a, like a like a supervillain moment, a big and, you know, wicked witch moment. But it's also somebody who's lost their mind. But it's if also you know, that um, sorry, there's that that's the scene between the the housekeeper and mm. and Jane when Jane comes home and the housekeeper's trying to break into Blanche's room to to set her free, and she goes toe to toe with with Jane. Oh, that's yeah. such a great, and they know it's not going to end well when she finally gets the key and gets in the room. Yeah. Oh, that's that's horrible when she opens the door. I must have missed the bit where you see her stringing her up. I must have blinked or they don't really show it. Myself. I was just not no, show I don't it. They don't show the, it. The door opens and she's strung up. And yeah. Christ, she's strung up like a hog. The, the most they show, the most they show is is Jane dragging her towards the stairs. Yeah, yeah and okay. then it, then it I cuts. thought I'd missed a bit because that no. was so shocking to me. I, was I think saying, that was the, the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think you were experiencing it at the same time Elvira was. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think that's yeah that that was the moment. But I think what's what's lovely about the way that that sequence is shot as well is you see the moment where Jane looks at the hammer that mm. Elvira's put down that she was trying to use yeah. to like bosh into the room, and you see that moment where she looks at the hammer and she thinks right, so she gives her the key and you're like oh no this isn't gonna go yeah well yeah. at all for anyone. <laughs> And then the yeah. breakdown she has when she recognises that she's in trouble, that she's, she, you know, she collapses on and she like yeah. goes, she wants her dad, but then she goes rushing for her sister. What, she, what is she going to do? You know, because mm. hadn't the police just come to the door as well when the police show up with drunk? Well, that's uh, it, because that whole subplot, because really there's yeah. only kind of like four characters mm. in the, I'm sure there must be a stage version of this, because you, you, could, you could do the whole film the whole story with just the four characters you've got the two mm. sisters then you've got um the pianist and then you've got the the housekeeper yeah and and that those are the only four you need really yeah. everything else is is superfluous but it's but they're but it's a terrifically tight little um so and like and also like Victor Buono's character just kind of disappears well the way he you know, he sees he sees Blanche and everything after the all the the noise that she makes of knocking over the table, mm-hmm. and he runs away, and it's like he goes to try and get someone's help or someone's attention, and then he just then but then he does just run away. It's it's weird because he clearly goes off and calls the police. You see the bit where he, I think he's, he's he's going past a bar or something, and he checks yeah, he goes, but his he answers if there's any shop. change, and he goes he's to make a yeah. Then he's going to make a phone call. You think, wow, he actually. We actually got one of these stories where somebody does the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> he actually goes, calls the police, and hence, you know, towards yeah, the, yeah. you know, yeah. he does the right thing, which never happens. They they always put that off. Yeah. But um, but yes, I also I also want to mention like um, I can't remember what it's what was his character's name, uh, Edwin, um, his mum. I just wanted to have a quick oh, shout yeah. out for his mum. Yeah. He's brilliant. I, I didn't write down her the actress's name. But she was um, Australian. She was born in Australia and she played a lot of um, English. I think she was half English anyway. But, mm. she, but she, I thought she was terrific. And I love yeah, it. There's a, there's a little moment 
I mean, she's clearly English in the story. The character's English. Yeah. And, and like uh, Edwin uh, pretends to be English, doesn't he? I was going to say he must do because he's like American and then he's English and then I got yeah, confused. And he's totally <laughs> taking the mick out of his mum through that whole story. Yeah. But I thought but that was a nice little reflection there. His relationship with his mum mm. is a reflection. Yeah. You know, it's another kind of broken or not. Yeah. Not broken, but not terribly healthy relationship. He's clearly got his own issues going on there. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, I just thought that was really nice. There's a little bits where he he chastises her for pronouncing secretary wrong. She mm-hmm. says sec- secretary or something like that. Which yeah. I, I just thought was a lovely little moment. It's a tiny nothing little moment. But I thought that's that's a couple of actors who know what they're doing. Mm. You know, they're they're working these these I'm gonna say working these parts, working these roles. I need to stop saying parts. Stop <laughs> saying parts, Grace. Stop working their parts. Working those roles. Um, yeah. <laughs> to within each of their lives. Oh, well, I think we're coming towards our natural end talking about the film. Yeah. So final thoughts, Stace, what final thoughts you have for whatever happened to baby Jane? I thought it was absolutely great. Um, I will I will say, I don't really recommend, if you've never, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to this, you've hopefully seen the film. Uh, or, or now you've had it ruined for you. Um <laughs> But I, I wouldn't recommend watching it as somebody who doesn't know anything about it whatsoever next to somebody who has seen it a few times and really likes it. Because anytime you say anything and they give you a sort of smug look as if to say, <laughs> aha, but is it though? Uh, which driving me <laughs> just, just a tiny bit insane. Um, so I just ended up not saying any words at all after a while. And I <laughs> Because I was like, I, I cannot, I simply cannot take that man giving me that face again. <laughs> um, but I thought, I thought the film was fantastic. I thought, considering the fact that for the for the majority of it, I was thinking, where is this going? Because it feels so obvious to me where it's going, and that can't be it, surely. Mm. Um, so for it to sort of have me thinking the whole time and yet still surprise me at the end, um, and I just think that end shot is like such a great. Such a great shot to end on. Because the other thing is, is, is that you don't know what happens to either of them after this. No. Like for all we know, Blanche could be dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. she could have um, survived. You just, yeah, you don't. Yeah, know. You, you've got no idea. You don't know, you know, what happens with with baby Jane. <laughs> like it's just, it's one of those endings that the, that is somehow intensely satisfying, despite the fact that it gives you basically zero answers. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, I, I thought it's fantastically. Uh, acted aside from that one bird um, yeah. and just really well written um, and like you say it's 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 so well shot in parts um, it's just yeah I, I really loved it I was worried about this one because I know you like it a lot and I, <laughs> my track record with movies older than about 1970 is not really great <laughs> um it excite it excites me, it makes me happy no end that I've actually managed to put forward <laughs> a film that's older than like eighty five to seventies that yeah. you've really liked because my track record of those ones so far has been shite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I think it helps that um because obviously you know our very first episode was Rear Window which I really loved. Yeah. Um and yeah. I think it helps that this is a little bit reminiscent of that but also entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, mean, I think that really helps. Yeah, yeah, it gives you it gives you that sort of sense of um, you know, sort of being trapped and not being able to get out, and it's very sort of the whole time. Mm. <laughs> um, and then when you realise by the end that you've been feeling for the wrong person, it's um, 
<laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Loved it. Excellent. And Lee, what about you for your final thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was tremendous. I mean, um, really, you look at it and you go, this is basically Psycho plus Sunset Boulevard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yes, it's, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally Psycho. Spoilers for Psycho, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's, it's basically Psycho if Even Norman Bates' mum did it. If, if <laughs> Norman Bates' yeah. mum was alive yeah. Yeah. and actually did the murders, that's yeah. what this is basically um so it was right up my alley like I say it's 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 very hitchcockian i mean i'm i'm certainly i don't think this would have been made if psycho hadn't i mean psycho was like two years uh before this so i think it's safe to say that this got made because psycho was a hit you know it looks it looks very similar it's you know there's a you know, there's a lot of resemblances and, and and stuff yeah. that's similar but it's it's also it's very much its own thing and it and it comes at it in from a, a really you know a very different angle um but yeah i thought it's tremendous i thought yeah i thought it's it is going to be one i think i'll i'll re-watch oh, cool. uh, yeah so um yeah it's definitely going to be on there and i am going to check out some more of these um psycho senior movies mm. as well what? Uh, see what else is there I would recommend you don't watch the 91 TV movie version of this, though, with okay. Vanessa and Lynn Redgrave, because it's not as good. It's okay. set, it's more set like modern day yeah. um, than the original film. But I did watch it and thought, this is just trash. Because that caught my eye and I thought, oh, actually, I think the two Redgraves is a brilliant yeah. movie. That's, that's amazing. You know, I mean, sure, watch it if you have a time where you've got like, oh, well, I'll put it on. Yeah. But I did watch it and thought, oh, this was just a waste and it spoils mm. what is superb. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe miss that one off. Yeah. I mean, generally, I will avoid the TV remakes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a good rule of thumb, I think. Because even though I recommended, you know, like last episode and as I said before, maybe give um, the TV miniseries feud, uh, Betty and Joan. Yeah. Uh, a try that does lean very heavily into the hype and rumors of the feud between the two actresses yeah um to the point that um olivia de havilland did actually sue ryan murphy or tried to sue ryan murphy in the production um for the way in which they portrayed her in it yeah. as a character she said, I never said any of those things. Those things didn't happen. Da, 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 da. To which well, I say, I'm assuming I, I just naturally because I know it's based on a book. Yes. And yeah. I assume the book's nonfiction, but I assume the TV series is a fictionalized version. I believe so. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. And Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis and Jessica Lange as. Um, they're very well cast. They're, they're just, amazingly cast. Just looking. I mean, that's a hell of a double, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. pair of yeah. actors you've got there. That, there's not many could fill their boots, and if you, you know, those are the two who could definitely. That, fill their amazingly boots. so, and and according to a snippet of a quote I saw from Ryan Murphy, he said he didn't want to bother an actress such as Olivia de Havilland, who was probably 98, mm. something like that, around at the time it was made, with questions such as, "Did this really happen? Did that really happen?" Because he had so much respect for her, yeah. but he still put her character within the TV show, and just put in what she considered to be made up didn't really happen situation yeah. so uh there you go but mm. that yeah but it's it's still an, a really good it's a good watch if you just pinch your soul with okay. that one i've got one more bit of trivia yeah if you, if you want to hear it yeah there's 
during the film, there's a little TV commercial and there's a there's a guy on this TV commercial. The, the guy in the TV commercial is a, is a guy called Michael Fox, an actor called Michael Fox. And he's the reason Michael J. Fox had to put the J in his name. Because Michael, really? Fo- Michael J. Fox's name is just Michael Fox. Yeah. But when he had to, wanted to join the Actors Union, what it was, I said, well, you can't be Michael Fox because there's already a Michael Fox. So you're going to have to change it. So he, one of his favourite actors is Michael J. Pollard, who yeah. was in Scrooge as an old man and he was in um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde and a bunch of us. Brilliant, brilliant actor. Mm. Uh, but he was a big fan of his, so he took the J and became okay. Michael J. Fox. So that's that's my little bit of trivia for the, little bit of triv. for the week. Well, to add to a little bit of triv when it comes to names, Joan Crawford's real name was Lucille Lesseur. Um, But... Even though she used that name for a little while, uh, Louis B. Mayer did not like that name at all. And so they ran a competition for the audiences to choose her name. Oh. <laughs> oh, and she'd be called Actress McAttress Face. <laughs> she would, yeah. Yeah, um, that would be such a bad way. Don't ask the public. So they, they came up yeah. with the name, I think it was something like Joan. It, the first name stayed, so it was Joan. And the surname was something like... Uh, Alden, I think, Joan Alden, but there already was a Joan Alden. So they took this next highest rate, you know, voted name, which was Crawford, which Joan Crawford felt sounded like crawfish and she wasn't overly keen. But OK, fair enough. Joan Crawfish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. So there you go. Uh, but I would say for final thoughts with this one for me, I just I I've just love it. I think it's great. It's got two actresses that I think are wonderful. I know Joan wasn't nominated for this one, but I thought she still did a superb um, part in it, especially opposite Betty Davis that she always wanted to do, which I thought was great. Uh, And I just thoroughly enjoy watching it. It's weird that I forget that opening 20 minute section. I think I think it's because the the main body of the film just so completely takes over. Mm and just washes over that i just forget that opening section but well, it's, it's interesting that you, you don't get the title sequence until let's say not until the car crash no. yeah, don't get it till the car crash and the, and yeah. it's a really interesting title sequence as Which well seems with, like, quite, broken quite door. bold i don't know if that was one of the first times that was done but it seems quite bold it does doesn't it uh, to, it's normally to, to have that longer than have a title sequence that far in yeah because normally it'd be credits 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 mm. you know title and then then it just be the end. Um, probably nothing. <laughs> yeah. uh, again, another tangent. If you want to watch a movie that's got a really delayed title card, just check out the movie Fresh. It's oh, really yes. good. It's yeah. really good, but I think it's nearly an error in, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's mate, insane when the title card comes at you like, huh? Oh. oh. Right. <laughs> How much longer is this film going to be on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there we are. That's whatever happened to Baby Jane, and I'm so happy that you both really enjoyed it. That makes that makes my day. That does and night. So I'm really happy. But Lee, it's your choice for next month. So what are you having us watch? Uh, next month, it's one that I've never seen, Ooh. and it's um, risky business. Risky, risky. Yeah. No, I've seen risky business. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it was uh, Top Hat, 1932. Um, Fred and Ginger Rogers. Uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers musical. So I am pushing the boat out. I am watching a musical and it by your own choice, by your yeah, own by, choice. choice, not even being forced into it. <laughs> no, I'm going. I am. Going, yeah, I am putting the bit between the teeth and going. I'm going to watch a musical. 
And it's I not even like a big that. showy MGM musical. I think was it RKO, something like that. I can't. Well, I can't remember. I haven't seen can't it remember. yet. That's no, I, can't break. <laughs> uh, I think I've only seen snippets of it, so I'm, I look forward to watch. I've seen the stage production. Yeah, I look so forward to yeah, seeing we, it. we were watching. Yeah, it was. It was. We were watching some documentary series, weren't we, about Golden Age? Yes. Yeah. Know. And there was the, there was there was a big episode about about musicals, and I thought, yeah, go on then, we'll 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 do that one because I haven't seen it. No, it should be good. Should be good. I look forward to that. Actually, I'll just again, we'll just look forward to reactions for that one because, yeah. <laughs> so, so so none of us have seen that one, right? Nope. I think so, I've only so we... seen, I've seen the stage musical of it, oh, so okay. I I technically know it, but I I don't think I've seen okay, the film so, all the way so, through. Yeah, so we're not risking stepping on everybody's toes. No, no, no. That's always nice to just no. go in and yeah. Okay. We can we can rip it to pieces and stick it back together in a different order if you want, and I don't think we'll mind <laughs> too much. It'll be okay. So so there we are. There we are. Top hat for our next episode. So that's what we all need to watch. And you guys listening, if you want to join in and listen along, then make sure you watch Top Hat and. Get in contact with us on the socials. Let us know what you think of uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane if you have seen it. And if you haven't and we've sported it for you, well, tell oh. us that too. <laughs> yes. Well, until next time, it is a goodbye from me. And it is a goodbye from Stacey. And a goodbye from Leah. Bye-bye. Until next time, this is Never Seen. Hey, everyone. If you'd like to follow Never Seen on the socials, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at neverseen underscore pod. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at angelj5. You can find Stacey on both Twitter and Instagram at Stacey's Parlour. That's Stacey spelt with an E-Y and Parlour with a U-R. And you can find Lee on Twitter at lovelylee underscore G.